Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. Sheep, what are they known for? Besides being dumb animals that you have to corral all the time. What did, what did we get out of sheep? Wool. How long does it take to get wool from a sheep? If they, you have no idea, it takes a minute. My neighbor back in Ohio raised sheep, and there was one day he invited me down there to help shear the sheep. And I was thinking this week, it takes, if you were to farm sheep or to farm wool, it would be a long process. You got to go from lamb to you or what's a male sheep called? Ram. That takes a minute, doesn't it? Now, what if you were a sheep farmer and said, no, I want mutton. All I want is mutton. Just sheep. Just eat them. And I want wool. Do those two things work together? It's really short-sighted if you're a shepherd with the goal of having wool to kill and eat the sheep real quick. Today, God is working as you, you see it a ton. The Bible uses, hey, you're like sheep that's gone astray. You know, we're, you know, like we read Psalm 23, Jesus is the good, right? Today, the shepherds had it. But there's been a long process. When, we work, when I'm trying to work with how am I going to teach this to the kids, I'm like, how do you say to the kids so they understand, here's your responsibility, here's a qualifiable, reasonable amount of time before I punish you. Now, some parents have, like, incredibly long, like, forever. Like, they do the warning thing, like, 30 times, which reminds me of God and the Prophets. Hey, y'all, you're really messing up, but I'm going to send a prophet to tell you to get your act together. Get your act together. And Max was pretty close. We're looking at hundreds and hundreds of years. So but what happens when God says, that's enough? Well, that's where we've landed in Zechariah chapter 11. He said, that's it. You're going to get in trouble. You're going to get your spanking. And here's what I want to work around the idea this morning that judgment is literally the last chapter of God's grace. It might sound unique that judgment is God's grace. Because how many of us have heard Old Testament bad is just full of law and judgment, New Testament good, it's just full of grace? Well, we got the opportunity to talk with Miss Joan this morning, and there's all these cool things that are woven through Zechariah that comes through in our New Testament. So when we read about Jesus coming back, Jesus is all grace, right? All love. God loves us. God died for us and wants a relationship with us. Is there a time when Jesus comes back as the risen Lord in judgment? That's why we read Revelation this morning. So as you're turning, if you're there in Zechariah, we're going to start with some good down-home poetry. Zechariah chapter 11, we'll do the first three verses. Open your doors, O Lebanon, 
that the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cypress, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. Wail, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has been felled. The sound of the wail of the shepherds, for their glory is ruined. The sound of the roar of the lions, for the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. Remember, God's people are an agricultural people. They understand what would it mean if all of their natural resources were demolished. God is going to hit them right where it hurts, right in the economy, right when their way of life. All of what they have as grandeur around them will fail, will fall. So it's God's picture here is a literal destruction of the land, which was promised to them. A literal wailing of their so-called spiritual leadership, the shepherds will wail. And the laments or roars of the ruling families or the lions as their area is now gone. Why start like this? Because they've rejected God's grace. This is coming. This devouring of fire this trees being felled, all of what's happening here is destruction. One writer spoke to foresting and pasturing where they're valuable resources. It would be like the prophet coming to you today and say, hey, your 401k is now gone. Your job security is gone. Every check that you will write will bounce. Everything that you're, you bring around you to be what identifies you as having made it, God says, I will erase. It's a beautiful beginning, isn't it? It's tough. Way to wake up on Sunday morning and come in and say, hey, Pastor Todd, that was really uplifting. We start out this morning with, hey, there are a group of people that has rejected God's grace and there's coming destruction. Where is the grace in that? Well, God told them over and over and over again. He tells us over and over again, hey, there is a time coming when you will be judged. Every one of us. And we read that this morning. The time between you knowing that and God judging you is called, I'm going to say this about 50 times this morning, grace. The time between God says, hey, here is, I'm warning you, I'm warning you, and the time when he comes and judges is called grace. He has extended grace to them. Judgment is the last chapter in grace. So why does he do it? Because they've rejected God's grace. So let's look at this doomed flock in chapter 11, verse 4. Thus said the Lord my God, become the shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them slaughter them and go unpunished. And those who sell them say, blessed be the Lord, I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall in the hand of his neighbor, each into the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land. And I, shall, and I will deliver them, deliver none of them from their hand. So God says to Zechariah, hey, go be the shepherd of the doomed flock. Man, I'm so glad God doesn't ask me to be a prophet like this. 
Go shepherd this flock that you know. I am saying, God says, these, these, this group here, they're doomed. Become the shepherd of this doomed flock. Be their shepherd, Zechariah. And look, God even says, those who buy them to slaughter them will go unpunished. Because God has orchestrated this. He's not going to punish them at this time for what they're doing. Those who sell them, sell this flock, get to yell out, look, I'm rich because I made a ton of money off of this flock. God eventually reaches a point of judgment. His grace is only for so long. Look at verse 6. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land. He showed pity for ages. But there is a time when he will no longer show pity. God has protected them from their enemies, but there will be a time when he will no longer protect them. God has used kings for their good, but there will come a time when he will use kings to punish them. His grace comes to an end. The last chapter of grace, the last chapter of judgment is grace. So Zechariah is called to shepherd this doomed flock. And look in verse 7. So I became the shepherd of the flock, doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. And I took two staves, one named Favor and the other named Union, and I tended the sheep. In one month I destroyed the three shepherds, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And those who are left devour the flesh of one another. And I took my staff favor and I broke it, annulling the covenant that I made with the peoples. So it was annulled on that day, and the sheep traders who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, If it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out my wages, 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the lordly price of which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it in the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. People are part of the process of God's judgment. Notice when God judges this flock, who does he ask to do the work? Who, who does he ask to join with him? Zechariah. I want you now to shepherd them. This doomed flock. And he says, okay, so the chilling words of verse 7. So I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered. Zechariah answers God's call and goes to work knowing full well their outcome. Does anybody think this is crazy? God's calling his own prophet to shepherd a people doomed for slaughter. God has, he has asked somebody who he's asked to care and nurture for sheep to go and be a shepherd for those who are going to die, going to be judged, going to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. God is never removed from the process. And look at this. He uses people to see, to feel, and to experience God's own pain of this point. God doesn't sit up in a lofty cloud and say, hey, I'm just going to judge them someday. He says, no, Zechariah, I want you to get your hands and feet dirty with these people, and I want you to know my pain as I have you interact with them, knowing full well what the outcome would be. That would be a tough gig, wouldn't it? But God's not aloof. 
He wants Zechariah to experience the pain that he is going through and say, hey, I know you've worked with these people. I know you've said a lot to them, and I want you to be a part of this process with me. Prior to judgment, God's going to use people like you and I to interject God's good news of relationship with God with other people. Who does God use today to share the good news with people? You and I. Do you realize you telling people the good news then means they get a choice to reject it? But you are not removed from the process of saying the good news, which then is also bad news. So God has integrated us into the process, say, hey, feel my pain as they, those who reject it and feel my love and my, how happy I am when people come to know me. We are still part of this process even today. Imagine the scene at the temple. All these sheep are crowded into this pen. And the guy or the person whose job it was to take care of these sheep before they were slaughtered at the temple. That job. God is asking Zechariah to be part of the process of this judgment by getting his hands and feet in there with him to say, hey, my heart bleeds, and I want you to experience this too. Now the two staffs... Did you guys catch that favor and union? By the way, as you've read through Zechariah in this reading, how many of you have been like, wow, this is the easiest stuff I've ever read? No, uh Miss Joan, you can say amen really loud. And I'm not going to lie, this week was a hard study week for me. You can ask Pastor Michael and Ryan because I text them all week about this stuff. If at any point you think the Bible is easily to you tell the story and put a bow on it in certain sections and make it really easy to understand, you're like... You know, people haven't read Zechariah. <laughs> and so when I got the, the call this week, hey, by the way, you're preaching Zechariah 11 this week. I'm like, whoa, okay. Then I read, I'm like, whoa, this is hard stuff. What is the deal with the favor and union staff? So you got this imagery starting out with the forest on fire. And then you got uh, Zechariah giving the image of, hey, go be a shepherd to a doomed flock. And by the way, the staff that he carries has meaning. So one is favor and one is union. What is the staff of favor? It's an annulment of the Greek. It's a covenant that gets broken. God's favor gets broken. So imagine Zechariah working with these sheep, and he takes one staff he calls, there's God's favor for you, and he breaks it over his knees. Here's your pay stub. I'm going to rip it in half. Here's the equity in your home. I'm going to rip that away. It's a vivid picture in front of the people of what God is trying to communicate with them. What do you mean? I am part of God's family. How could he ever not favor me? Well, now's the point. Because remember, who is the audience? Are these the evil outsiders that Zechariah was told to go to and say, repent for God wants a relationship with you? These are right here. When we go into life, we have the idea of we're going to into the world this week, but also remember that God's strictest judgments are on his own people. 
So at this time, he goes, I'm breaking my covenant, my agreement with you. I'm breaking the staff of favor. God has always made a means to reconcile with him. It's always been on his terms, though. You want God's favor in your life, you have to do it on his terms. It kind of makes sense. If you tell your kids to clean your, their room and they go and do the dishes instead, but they come back and say, hey, I cleaned my room, though, but they didn't do the dishes. Somehow we think that is reasonable for punishment. We're going to say, hey, you did okay, but you didn't do what I asked. When we come to God, we think we can develop our own terms, our own system, when God said, hey, this is how you have a relationship with me. He's always made that available, even from Genesis to Revelation. But people can freely choose to make up their own rules, try to reconcile to God on their own behalf, or even develop their own religious systems. When it's not according to what God has said to do, God can break that staff of favor. If you are having issues in life and don't want to follow the way God says to follow them, don't expect his favor. It drives a person nuts. I'm sure it does you in the medical field. I want to feel better, but I don't want to take the medicine. You really kind of want to back, backhand people. How many people do we know that have medical issues but they want to just take the meds and then complain about the doctor not fixing them when they're not doing anything on their own to take care of them. Spiritually, how many people do we know? How many times have we experienced in our life? I want God's blessing on my life, but I don't want to do it the way he says to. It's a time of judgment when God says, I'm breaking this staff of favor. What's the staff of union? Annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Following God on his terms means doing so with whom he chooses. It's a big sentence saying, hey, I'm choosing you to follow me, and I want you to follow me by with each other. And you don't get to pick that crowd. You mean following God, everybody should like me. Everybody should get along. The Bible talks about that a whole bunch, being unified. When we did the series in Philippians, community. It's called to be unified, but what happens when you break unity? God says, I'm done. I'm going to judge for that. See, God has told a huge story up to this point. Beginning in Exodus, he brought his people out, dropped them into base of Mount Sinai, and gave them the law. Then we got all these books that tell the saga, the story of God leading his people through the wilderness, into the land, taking the land, then going into Judges. We know that they, God has taken his people on this long, cool journey where he has shown them a ton of grace and at times judged them. This is in their history books. And as we look back on our lives, we accepted Jesus, we decided to follow him. Then there's points in life where God has had to get us by the ankles and say, are you listening to me? Or get us by the earlobe and say, do I have your attention yet? And sometimes those earlobe grabbing situations are when God's favor or God working with us is like, is it there? Just like you warning the kids over and over again, God has warned his people through the prophets saying, repent, here's how you have a relationship with me. Repent, 
And when it finally comes time for judgment, the end of grace, there are divisions even among those that God has evidenced himself to for centuries. So they break in the, the staff of favor and the staff of union while he's shepherding this doomed flock. So let's look at Zechariah's work. The people detest him. Do you see that? Verse 8. In one month I destroyed these three shepherds, but I, be, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And those who are left to devour the flesh of one another. So the people detested Zechariah. Look, he's, God's asked him to shepherd these people who are doomed to be slaughtered. And what, how, they respect, how do they respond back to Zechariah? We don't even like you. We detest you. Those who have rejected God will do so even to God's people. If you're out in your community sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and those people have rejected God, what do you think? How would they then reasonably react to you? Rejection. Detest you. See how God is using Zechariah? And said, hey, they've rejected me, and I want you to feel what this rejection feels like. God is working with us in our lives to know what it's like to have a relationship with him, with others. When others reject us, we can feel the pain of what God says. Hey, come to me. Zechariah ceases to shepherd. He cannot shepherd those who will not follow. Look, God removes his caring person from those who don't care about him. Have you ever had a relationship with somebody that you cared a ton for, but it came time to say, I can't care anymore? That's scary moments. Those are hard times to say, I'm at my limit. Can you imagine God saying that? I've cared, and I've cared, and I've sent those to care for you, and you don't care for me, nor the people that I've sent. Let die those who are going to die. Let it be destroyed those who are going to be destroyed. And let them devour each other. And Zechariah says rhetorically, hey. <laughs> this kind of makes you chuckle right in the middle of it. He, he's, this, he's this shepherd of the doomed flock. And he goes and does this work. And he goes to him and he says, hey, I'd like to get paid. Verse 12. If it seems good to you, give me my wages. But if not, keep them. If it seems good to you. And he gets paid what? 30 pieces of silver. God uses another vivid images. Here's the wages that God's shepherd asked to be given to him. 30 pieces of silver. Have you heard this before? How much did Judas get? 30 pieces of silver. And notice what, how God identifies the shepherd's wage. At the end of verse 12. And they weighed out my wages, 30 pieces of silver. God identifies this price as what they're willing to give him is how much they valued God himself. 
That's how much they paid you, Zechariah. That's how much they value me. Notice what happens. The wages of the under-shepherd, God identifies how much people value about God himself, the chief shepherd. This is the same price demanded for the compensation of the death of a slave in Exodus. In Matthew 27, what was the value placed on Jesus' life? 30 pieces of silver. While Zechariah plays the role of shepherd in front of them as a vivid image to these people, he works in such a way that when his wages, what he, our work for God, how much we put our effort into talking to people, and we say, God, this has got to be worth at least a million dollars. I've been working really, really hard for you. This should be of great value, and people should find value in me by doing this. When God's servant says, hey, just pay me for what I did, it's 30 pieces of silver, and God says, hey, that's how much they value me. It's another incredibly powerful image that Zechariah is living in front of the people to illustrate God's grace before judgment. And then when judgment comes, it's the last chapter. So he throws the money into the house of the Lord. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 15 judgment of the doomed flock. Just give them what they want. Look at there in verse 15. Then the Lord said to me, Takes one, take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For behold, I'm raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed, or seek the young, or heal the maimed, or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hooves. God tells Zechariah, hey, Put on the clothes of that foolish shepherd. I want you to play this part in front of them so they can see. God uses people to declare his grace and to declare judgment. The very same person who tried to care, protect, nurture, seek, and rescue becomes the mouthpiece of the whore that's about to come. And God tells Zechariah, hey, I'm raising up another shepherd in the land who does not care. I'm literally going to raise up one for this group of people who doesn't care. Doesn't care for those who are going to be destroyed. Doesn't care for the young. Doesn't care to heal the maimed ones. And he doesn't want to hurt, nourish the healthy. Does this happen? In the end times it does. There's a whole lot of people that will flock to a bad shepherd who really isn't doing any of this. And they will go to him, and God eventually judges him. But I wanted to stop here for a second. Look, remember we read Psalm 23 this morning. We love Psalm 23. Look at the words that are used for how God shepherds us. Takes care of us, our needs, protection, correction, refreshment, rest. All of that is in Psalm 23. It's as if... Zechariah chapter 11 is the opposite of Psalm 23, where Jesus is this shepherd who guides and protects and nurtures and heals and seeks the lost. There will rise up a shepherd who does none of that, and there's a huge flock that goes after him, and that flock will be judged. So in rejecting of grace, people really are rejecting Psalm 23. 
in verse 17. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered and his right eye utterly blinded. Revelation, when we read that this morning. God will do this. Isn't it really pretty amazing how we've read through Zechariah this morning? We've drawn this thread through with how much they value Jesus. How, where did that come from? Did that happen accidentally? No, it was prophesied all the way back in Zechariah 11. Why? Where was it prophesied? In the, right in the middle of a chapter on judgment. And then it's used right in Matthew during the time of the great climax of our Bible when Jesus dies for us. Friends, the last chapter of judgment is the last chapter of God's grace. But look when these things happen. God is continuously saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I want to seek you, I want to have a relationship with you. And he takes part of what he does in, in, the, in the crucifixion and draws it from the story of Zechariah and judgment. This is, the, this is thick stuff. So for each other, one another, how are you responding to the chief shepherd? The chief shepherd being Jesus, the shepherd of Psalm 23. If there's correction, if there's guidance, as there's leading you, are you being obedient to follow? Can you get a grasp this morning if somebody were to come up to you at work and say, hey, I read Zechariah 11 last week, and that's pretty jacked up. God calls this last shepherd his shepherd and is bound for destroying his people? Explain that to me. I thought Jesus was all about love, man. I, some guy told me this this week. Well, Jesus is just like the other good guys. He's just good. Taught us how to do good things. He never, he was just all loving. So how do you explain him coming back and judging the nations the way he does? Or when you're brought before him at the great white throne judgment, which we also read, and he says, hey, here are your names in the book of life. Yes, good. Now let's see how, what you get rewards for what you did. You're not punished for what you did do. You get rewards for what you did do. So God is in this business of judging. Does he have the right? Can you explain how Jesus, at the end of the story, end of Revelation, it's like they've read part of the Gospels and said, yeah, Jesus loved people, he people, and fed people. So explain Revelation to me. Can you do that? Can you get a grasp of how a loving God eventually judges? Is that fair? Remember, grace is the time period between he says, hey, here's your warning, and here's when it happens. Are you willing to be God's mouthpiece? Are you willing to play the role this week what Zechariah did? In life, in interacting with people, where they are with images they can relate to, can you use those in a way to illustrate Jesus and grace to them? Or is it too nerve-wracking to worry about being rejected? Our community. Would you be able to define how your friends and neighbor think about what a relationship with God means? As you get to know people, where you work, would you have any clue of what their idea about God and having a relationship with him looks like? 
Begin having those conversations. Are you willing to be God's mouthpiece to them? To tell them? To extend that grace? And when will you share it with them? Let's pray. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.